have you ever looked for something in the wrong place? Ever looked for something in the wrong place? Like maybe you're standing in the parking lot and you're looking in your pockets for your car keys, the ones that go to your 1986 black Honda Prelude, and and you're searching in your pockets, and then suddenly you realize that the car is still running and you've already locked the doors. Yeah, you're, you're looking in the wrong place. Keys are in the car. Or maybe you've looked in the wrong place because you were looking on the counter. And you were looking on the counter for that paper plate that had that paper towel that was caring for that last piece of thick-cut applewood smoked bacon. And you're looking on the counter for that, but, but then you look over and you suddenly realize that someone in what had to be a moment of temporary insanity had already thrown away the paper plate and the paper towel and the bacon in the trash can. Do you know how hard it is to find a piece of bacon in the trash can? I don't know. That's a rhetorical question, but, you know. Usually when we hear somebody say, looking in the wrong place, it's, it's often about love, you know. Looking in the wrong place for love. In fact, musical philosopher John Lee Hamm Years ago, he, he crooned about such a thing. He said he was looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. Searching their eyes. Looking for traces of what he was dreaming of. Looking for love. Animated philosopher Maxine once said this, I look for love in all the wrong places, but I always know where to find a donut. Yeah, it's true, it's, Never a truer statement could be spoken. But what if we're not talking about keys and bacon and donuts? What if we're not talking about love? Although when you think about it, keys, bacon, love, and donuts, that is a country song. Somebody needs to write that. Brad, we're going to work on that together. But what if we're not talking about those things? What if Rather than those things, we're talking about looking in the wrong place when it comes to everything that's happening in the world right now. What if looking in the wrong place is actually burning your mind with impatience and anger? What if looking in the wrong place right now is is actually pressing your mind down with fear and anxiety? What if looking in the wrong place right now is is locking your mind out with self-centeredness and apathy? You see, where we look matters. Looking in the wrong place can paralyze your mind. Looking in the wrong place can, can cause problems in your family. Looking in the wrong place can create conflict at work or at school or at church or in your neighborhood. Looking in the wrong place can actually lead to hurting and harming other people. Looking in the wrong place is is kind of a thing. It seems to matter where we are looking. So, where are you looking? Where are you looking right now? In the midst of everything that's going on, where are you looking? Are you looking in the wrong place or are you looking in the right place? And, and where is the right place? Well, let's see if we can find out this morning. Psalm 46, beginning with verse 8. We'll be walking through verses 8 and 9 today. The psalmist writes, Come, 
Behold the works of the Lord. It's got a little action statement here. There is something right now, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, there's something right now that, that you need to do. We don't need to delay in doing this. We, we need to do it right now. And what is that one thing? We need to look to God. We need to look at the works of God. Now, how do we do that? Well, in a sense, we can't. I mean, God's works are, are too much. You know, they're, they're too massive. They're, they're historically amazing. So we can't see all the works of God. We can't look at all the works of God, but we can catch a glimpse of the works of God. Have you ever been up in the mountains on a, a clear night? Have you ever been walking out on the beach during the summer on a clear night? Have you ever been in your, your backyard making s'mores on your chiminea on a clear night? And, and you looked up and, and you saw the stars. And can't you just get that moment? Didn't you remember just looking going, goodness gracious, it is an infinite number of those little lights. I mean, you can't even imagine how many there are. About 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said this about God. Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name. <laughs> calls them all by name. If you have more than one kid, do, do you ever get your kids' names right? I mean, you ever do the roll call thing? Bailey, uh, uh, Meredith, uh, Carter, uh, Holden. You, you go through the list. And, and God, he knows all the stars by name. Okay, so how many stars are we talking about? Well, we are in the, the Milky Way. That's our galaxy. And it has been estimated that there's about 200 to 400 billion. I had to look at my notes because I can't really say million. No, 200 to 400 billion stars in the Milky Way, okay? And it's also been recently estimated there's about 150 to 250 galaxies in the universe. Now, the Hubble telescope is telling us something different. It's saying there might be like 2,000 galaxies in the universe. So 200 to 400 billion stars in each of those 2,000 galaxies is a lot of stars. So bless God's heart, if he ever had to go through a roll call for the stars. But he didn't have to. Why? Isaiah tells us, next part of verse 26. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Not, not one star is missing. That, that goes beyond our comprehension. That is difficult for us to understand, and that's a good thing. And here's why. I don't know what shaped your view of God. Maybe it's shaped by what your grandparents believed or, or what your parents believed. Maybe your view of God has been shaped by the, the church that you grew up in. Maybe your view of God has been shaped by a, a patriotic song that you sing. Or maybe you don't even believe in God. But if your view of God does not include that he is great enough and mighty enough and strong enough to make sure that not one single star is missing to him. 
And if your view of God is not one that includes him being great enough and strong enough and mighty enough to know every event that happens in the history of your country, that knows every single moment in history, that knows every moment of pain in your family, one that has not for a single second missed a single cell in your body. If your view of God does not include that he is great enough, mighty enough, and strong enough to make sure that any of those things are missing from him, then I graciously share with you your view of God is wrong. If your view of God says that somehow God has been caught off guard with anything that has happened in 2020, then your view of God is wrong. Or at the very least, your view of God is weak. It's probably been about a decade ago I, I came across a prayer that was prayed at the end of a church service right here in South Carolina about 160 years ago. And, and this prayer sounds just like the language of the psalmist and just like the language of Isaiah. And it's, for me, it's invigorating. This is how the prayer goes. Look up. God, your Redeemer and Deliverer, reigns. Suns and systems of light are but the sparkling dust beneath his feet. Infinite empire is in his grasp. See? See, he comes riding upon the wings of the whirlwind, wielding his glittering sword, bathed in the radiance of heaven driving his foes like chaff before his face and hastening to the help of his saints with resources of boundless power and unlimited grace. And then he prayed this. See, he sits on yonder throne. God created and owns and named the stars. That's one, just one of his works that he has done from yonder throne. The psalmist describes the similar scene that Isaiah did. Listen to Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. God created and he owns and he named all the stars. That's just one of the mighty things, one of his mighty works that he's done from yonder throne. But what does that have to do with you? Well, did you hear the first part of that? Listen again. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been brokenhearted? Have you ever been anxious-hearted? Have you ever been angry-hearted? Have you ever been apathetic-hearted? Have you ever had your, your heart messed up and, and you needed your heart to be helped? Marshall Siegel says this, why would God name stars? Not for their sake, they're stars, but for ours, so that we would know that he knows and attends to each and every one of us, especially the broken hearted. Whatever your view of God today, I plead with you to know this, that according to his own character, according to what he has done through history, according to his own book, 
God is wanting you to understand that he desires to heal your broken heart, your angry heart, your apathetic heart, your anxious heart. He desires to heal it. He desires to bandage it up. He desires to care for you. That's, that's part of who he is. It's his character. It's his nature. Now, I can't promise you that that means that God healing your broken heart means that everything's going to go the way you want it to go. I can't promise you that, that whatever change you're looking for, whatever normal you want to get back to, or whatever new normal you wish would happen, I can't promise you that God healing your broken heart is going to change everything on the outside. But according to his character, I can say that in his greatness and in his might and in his strength, he knows you. He knows you. He knows how put out you are with your spouse right now. He knows how put out you are with your parents right now. He, he knows how put out you are with, with politicians or your pastor. or who. He knows. He knows. And he knows how overwhelmed you are. He knows how frustrated you are. He knows how confused you are. He knows that, that you're tired of, of having to not have freedom to do all the things that you want. He knows, he knows, he knows. He knows your grief. He knows your pain. He knows your hurt. He knows how you feel like nobody's texting or calling or emailing or checking on you. He knows how anxious you are about money and finances in the future. He knows. And his desire is to heal and to help. It may not be the healing and helping you're looking for, but it's the healing and helping you need. He knows, and he knows you, just like he knows the name of every star. He knows you, and he knows your name. Now, if you're a believer, that should be a fantastic comfort. I mean, the fact that, that you know that God knows you because you have already dealt with the most serious problem in your life. You've already surrendered to Jesus. But if you're not a Christian, then, then I pray that there, there should be something about God knowing you that, that helps you. Because he knows that because you haven't yielded to Jesus, he knows about your most serious problem in life. And because he knows you, and because he loves you, because he cares for you, he's done something about that problem. He's done something. What has he done? Well, God has made a way to make everything right. Through his son, Jesus, God has made a way to change your story. Through the crucifixion and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has made a way for things to be right between you and him. So what your heart needs the most to be healed and rescued from sin and death, God has dealt with. Because he knows you. Jesus was born for you, a Savior. And he was crucified, he was buried, and he was raised again for you. So that you might be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and anger and apathy and fear and transferred into the kingdom of light, and you cannot be transferred out of that kingdom 
once you're in. That's what God has done to heal your broken heart. So if you haven't yielded to Jesus, we plead with you, come to him today. Look to him. That's what the psalmist is saying, right? He's saying, look at at God. Just consider his works. Take a gander at the Bible. Just just see this, this picture, this comprehensive picture of what he has done. He has proven himself over and over and over again. The psalmist says, look at him. Look at him. See, looking at the Lord is the right place. Looking at the Lord is the right place. Not looking at God is the wrong place. And so the goal is to to look at the right place. Why? Because life is hard. And life is difficult. And life is stressful. And if we consume ourselves with looking at the wrong place, in other words, not looking at God, if we consume ourselves with, with looking at the wrong place, then all of the pandemics and the protests and the policies, policies and, and the politicians and, and the health issues and anything else you want to put in that list will overwhelm you, will overwhelm your heart and your mind, will press you down and push you back and paralyze you. There has to be something mightier and stronger and greater than all of the things in life that we look to thinking that they're going to fix everything. There has to be something mightier. Psalmist helps us see that. Listen to the next part of verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. What is a desolation? It is the utter destruction of the enemy. The utter destruction of the enemy. The the enemy is is completely destroyed. Now now remember, we're talking about the psalmist here. Someone who knew about wars, experienced wars and rumors of wars, and yet over and over again he had seen God deliver his people and destroy the enemies. Our problem, though, is that we are so self-sufficient so self-absorbed, so self-centered that we can't see past our bootstraps. I mean, if we're honest, I mean, in our, in our own personal moments, if we're really honest with how our mind works, we're convinced that whatever's happening in our life is a result of our work, of what we've done, of our creativity, of our ingenuity, more than it's a result of the grace of God in our lives. We're convinced that that what we have and what we've done is primarily about what we've done and not about the grace of God in our lives. Now, does that mean we shouldn't work hard? We shouldn't be creative? No. It just means that especially if we're going to be Christians, we need to work hard and be creative with the right perspective. And what is that perspective? Last month, I shared what is known as the paradoxical commandments. This is one of them. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. Build anyway. See, perspective doesn't mean don't work hard. Perspective doesn't mean don't try hard. No, build, work, initiate, create, play, pray, rest, invest. Do it all. Do everything. 
Do everything to the glory of God. Do it with all that you have. Do your best. But don't do it with an attitude that's looking in the mirror at what you're doing. And don't do it with an attitude that's hoping somebody is going to like your Instagram post. You know why? Because I've just learned this this week, that sometimes when people like your post, man, it's a social media reflex. They didn't watch your video. They didn't read your quote. They didn't read anything about what you and your kids and your grandma and everybody, they just, they just liked it, you know? They just liked it. So, so don't build your life on the potential that someone might like your picture on Instagram. Now work hard. Do your best. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. Be creative. But do it looking toward the works of the Lord. Do it looking toward God. And listen, this week, watch the news on TV or don't. Listen to talk radio or don't. <laughs> Scroll through social media or don't. But, but do all of those things remembering that God is still strong. He is still mighty. He hasn't changed. This is who He is. It's, it's His character. Somebody has said what this is is really pre-remembering. <laughs> We're pre-remembering what we already know about God for what's about to happen or what's coming next. We're, we're pre-remembering. We're remembering the character and nature of God. And we also remember that the character and nature of God includes desolations. It includes destroying the enemy. In other words, in the end, God wins. But that's, that's the message of Revelation, that, that God wins. And if God wins, that should comfort you if you're a believer. That should comfort your attitude. You should look at the strength and the might of God and say, I'm okay. I'm good. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, that should rattle and invade your attitude a little bit. It should help you to see that, that there is only one God and there is no other. There's no other God. What does that mean? Well, think of his power and think of what it means to be separated from him. And it means that we hope that the Spirit would quicken your heart to turn to him. Listen to what Psalmist says next in verse 9. God makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. That's desolation. I mean, the mightiest weapons of the mightiest armies, God breaks over his knee like a piece of dry spaghetti. The mightiest machines of war, God burns like they're a jumbo marshmallow. This is his power. This is his authority over all things. During World War II, the German Tiger tank was one of the most heavily armored and most full of firepower tanks that there was. This one tank and, and, and its brothers and sisters in war wreaked havoc all over Africa and Europe. The story is told that sometime around August 24, 21st, 1944, during the final days of the Battle of Normandy, 
there was a German Tiger tank that was trying to escape and flee the Allied forces. But it ran out of gas. So the soldiers kind of pulled it a little bit on the side of the road and, and they put some explosives on the tank and they, they set the tank on fire. They, they tried to burn out and disarm it so it couldn't be used. And then they just left it there on the side of the road. Eventually, the 2nd Canadian Division came through and, and pushed it off the side of the road down into a ditch. So, so maybe cumulatively, cumulatively, in less than five minutes, this war machine that destroyed people and places became nothing more than a piece of burned out trash in a ditch on the side of the road. If you were to go to that same little community in France, that tank has been pulled up and it's sitting on a little piece of concrete there for people to see what it means to be destroyed what it means for power on this earth to be gone in a millisecond. So if you're looking to any power on this earth, the power of a tank, the power of an army, the power of a nation, you need to understand that power can come down in a moment under the power of Almighty God. That is who He is. His character and his nature is one of authority, ultimate authority. There is coming a day when every medical pandemic, when every flawed policy, every questionable politician, every violent protest, every unjust practice, every piece of property, every financial profit will run out of gas. And in that moment, what will matter most is where you are looking today. So where are you looking? Where are you looking when the things of this world ultimately are destined to not have final power? Where are you looking today for power? Where is your hope today? Are you looking at the works of God? Are you pre-remembering that God has revealed himself? Are you pre-remembering that God has proved himself over and over again in history? Are you pre-remembering what God has already done in and through Jesus Christ? Are you pre-remembering that tomorrow morning, if you're a Christian, tomorrow morning, no matter what's happening, tomorrow morning... Or we can do this afternoon, whenever, pick a time. Whatever's happening in any moment of your life, if you're a Christian, are you pre-remembering that you can always pull out your nay? You can always grab your nay. So what's your nay? Paul tells us, Romans 8, 37. Nay! <laughs> nay! In all these things, list them. Whatever's on your list today. Are you ticked off about college football? Put it in the list. Are you ticked off because you can't go to the grocery store many times you want? Put it on your list. Are you upset because you're quarantined more than you want to be? Put it on the list. Whatever you want to put on your list, put it on that list. And Paul says, nay, in all things, we as believers are more than conquerors 
through him that loved us more than conquerors. That's a nay right there. Nay. Whatever's happening in this moment, I'm in Christ, so I'm more than a conqueror right now. That can't change. Paul goes on. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, you got a nay. You got a nay. And how you use your nay, it matters. It it really matters. So, don't say nay against every person wearing a mask. And don't say nay against every person not wearing a mask. Don't say nay against every guideline that comes out from the CDC. And don't say nay against every guideline from outside of the CDC. Don't say nay to every person protesting and don't say nay to every person not protesting. Use your nay wisely. Use your nay to give yourself some freedom. Use your nay to give yourself some freedom to just trust the Lord, to to trust Him. Use your nay to give yourself some freedom to remember another one of the paradoxical commandments. It goes like this. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. (laughs) Love them anyway. Let me rephrase that. Dow Welsh is illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Sometimes. Hopefully not most of the time. You know what? You are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Look, we all are. The president is, your pastor is, any person in your neighborhood is, and the person in your mirror is. We, we all have these tendencies. But the call, because of Christ being in us, is this. We just, we love anyway. We, we love anyway. And how can you do that? How can you love people anyway? Here's how. Because you're looking at the works of God. Because you are grabbing your nay and you're using your nay, right? That, that's how you continue to love, even when it's hard, even when it's tough. You pre-remember the works of God. You pre-remember your nay. Lig Duncan says this, remember what the battlefield's going to look like when God is done. Mic drop. I mean, this is, this is what it means to pre-remember. Remember what the battlefield will look like when God is done. Remember. So, what do we do with all this? Well, let's, let's try to look at some questions, okay? Just, just think through these for you. What army is defeating you right now? I mean, what, what battlefield are you on right now in your life? What army is defeating you? Are you being defeated by impatience and anger? Are you being defeated by fear and anxiety? Are you being defeated by self-centeredness or apathy? Or are these things defeating you? Whatever's defeating you right now, this is the question. Do you think that God, who created and owns and named every star, 
do you think that God is sufficient for you? Not sufficient to help you. See, that's where we run. We go, well, I'll believe in God if he'll fix this. Or I'll pray more if he fix this. You know, I'll be a Christian more if God will fix this. But that's, that's really not the call. The call is, is the God who names and owns and cares for and maintains the stars. 200 to 400 billion just in our galaxy. Do you think that God is sufficient for your battle? Him, himself, is he sufficient for you? Now, let me hurt our feelings a little bit. For some of us, the answer to that question right now is a strong no. <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, we, we kind of want what we want. You know, whatever that is, there, there's something we want. We want it just like this, and, and we're just not going to cooperate unless we get it, and we're not going to see God as sufficient unless this thing happens. It has been militarily and spiritually proven that an attitude like that will ultimately self-explode and leave you burned out on the side of the road. So, so don't go there. So is there another way? Yeah, there is. There, there's another way. Grab your nay. Grab your, your nay. A few weeks back, uh, I told you about John Erickson. John was a, a guy I met in Raleigh, North Carolina years ago. And, and John pastors in Minneapolis. Their community was, was destroyed during the riots. Their businesses were destroyed, and, and their whole community has changed. John and his wife are white, and I think if I've got my math right, they have seven kids. They have two white sons and two black sons. They have two white daughters and one black daughter. And this week, he gave an update of what's happened in their community since the riots last month. And he said the aftershocks have not stopped. He said that now, probably a dozen times a day, someone in his own home says, hey, were those gunshots? The, the violence has not disappeared. The unrest has not disappeared. This past Friday, there was an automobile accident right in front of their house. His daughters were out in the front. One man climbed out of one car, walked over to the man in the other car, and shot him. His daughters ran inside to get his wife. The police and the ambulance were there pretty quickly to, to care for the man who had been shot. And, and John said, you know, this, this man who was shot was sitting on their front steps of their house using one of their blue towels while they tried to care for him. The paramedics were there. So John and his family and his community, they are surrounded by a lot of defeats. A lot of defeats. This is what he posted yesterday. The last 24 hours have been a time of processing and praying. Trauma affects each person and family member differently. It affects children and families and pastors. He goes on. This morning on my front porch, all was quiet. As I read from Psalm 93, the Lord reigns. Just Again, get the math. So Friday there's an accident in front of his house. A man is shot, bleeding, policeman, ambulance, everything. The next morning, he's sitting on his porch. Same porch, 
And he says what? All was quiet. As I read from Psalm 93, the Lord reigns. Indeed, he does. On our block, in our city, and in our nation. The floods have lifted up, and yet his throne is established. He rules, he reigns. With Christ, our solid rock, we are safe everywhere and at all times. How can John write those things? Here's how. Because he's looking in the right place. He's looking in the right place. And he knows how to use his name. He knows how to use his name. Dear Christian, dear non-Christian, dear listener, come, behold the works of the Lord.